listening to the You Flourish Church Podcast, a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, dedicated to helping you flourish in your faith. For more information about our mission and how you can get involved, please visit www.youflourishchurch.org. Uh, my name is Kurt. I serve as uh, one of the pastors of You Flourish Church, and again, just excited uh, to see so many wonderful faces in the building on this morning. As I was putting the sermon together, one of the things that I thought back to is in the in the early '80s. You know, gangs was the rage. If you didn't belong to a rage, you was uh, to a gang. Like you, you had no props. And, and I can recall my friends and I begging some of the high school gangs to let us join in, uh, and, but we were reto- repeatedly told no because uh, they said we were too little. Nobody would let us in, and we didn't care what gang we joined. It didn't matter where it was, by a house. Uh, it didn't even matter. We just wanted to be part of a gang. And so, so one day I come up with this idea to start up our own gang. And I, be going, I began going door-to-door in North Lyme Projects uh, pitching my idea. And during my first pitch, I sold a friend on the idea that we would no longer have to beg people to let us in their gang because we could start one ourselves. And we would call ourselves the Northside Rogues. Immediately, he dropped what he was doing, and he followed me. And when we arrived at the next house, I pitched the same idea. And immediately, that kid began following me to the next house. And I repeated the same pitch at more houses and at each turn, a new kid would begin following. And and by the end of the day, I had gathered about 40 kids who would serve as my launch team. (laughs) For the Northside Rogues. And from that point, I no longer had to go door to door because kids were now asking what they had to do to be part of the Northside Rogues, and since I had such a sweet tooth, the initiation was you had to steal me a bag of soft batch chocolate chip cookies from the local pharmacy. But, but re- reflecting back, I, I'm, I'm still amazed at how easy it was to commission people to follow me and my deviant behavior. In contrast, what would it look like if it was just as easy to commission people to follow Jesus. Today, as we begin a new series in Romans, we will see Paul is speaking to this very idea of being commissioned by God. And there's three things that we're going to see in the passage today, and that is that that Paul, he speaks to the calling of God. Paul, he speaks to the commission of God. And Paul, he speaks to the comprehensive power of God. Of God, And we're going to begin by unpacking that first point this morning as Paul speaks to the calling of God. Uh, again, uh, we begin in, in Romans 1, picking up in verse 1, if you got your Bibles handy. And it reads, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name 
among all the nations. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're following along, uh, the, uh, the verse I would love for you to highlight is in, we'll find in verse uh, 6 and 7, and it, it's called to belong to Jesus Christ, who are loved by God and called to be saints. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and doers of his word. And in and, and verse 1, uh, uh, here we, we, we arrive at the beginning of the letter Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. Uh, he stayed in Corinth for about one and a half years and while doing ministry right next door to the synagogue and, and working as a tent maker, somehow he found the time to write to the Romans. And, and, and in verse 1, he first labels himself as a servant of Jesus. And, and, and let me just say this, because his self-identification of a servant it took first priority because oftentimes we'll look at the office and we get caught up on the office. But the first thing that comes out of Paul's mouth is he says, like before he ever said that I was called to be an apostle, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And I, I think we, 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 we lose it sometime when we pay too much attention to the office and not enough attention <laughs> to who was called to the office. It's a servant was called to the office, and, 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 but we don't celebrate the whole idea and the concept of what it means to be a servant. And so, so Paul, he understood that his first priority was not the fact that he was an apostle, but it was, in the, fact, it was the fact that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. And in other words, Paul's role as a servant, it superseded his office as apostle. If we don't understand this, it's no wonder we find time and time again where we hear about abusive leaders in the church. Because they're more caught up in the office, more caught up in the prestige, more caught up in all of the things that's associated with it and the whole fact. And, and you know, Jesus said to himself, he said, I didn't come to be served, that I came to serve. So how could we expect anything less of his leaders? And so the first thing that, that Paul makes very clear is that I am a servant. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, when we begin to start seeing more of that from our leaders in the body of Christ, we will have less spiritual abuse. Uh, we will have less uh, all the ugliness that we see and the moral failures that we see that's happening in the church is because we forgot the fact that we were servants first. Second to his servantship. And only second to his servantship does Paul speak to his calling. And he understands the calling because he, he goes on, he speaks a little bit more about it. So, so he mentions the fact that he's been called to be an apostle. But, but the, the next thing that he says, he says, set apart for the gospel of God. Not set apart for the prosperity gospel, not set apart for the generosity gospel, not set apart for the politic gospel, but he said set apart for the gospel of God. And I think sometimes we can, we can, we can lose it sometime 
But he understood that, 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 that the gospel was not according to his theology. The gospel was not according to his denomination. The gospel was not according to his political party. But he says, I've been set apart for the gospel of God. And when you're set apart from the gospel of God and you're operating in the gospel of God, it may not align with what you think. May not align with how you feel. And, and, and Paul is one that can speak this because Paul was, was, was a Pharisee. I mean, he was trained up in a way that says there was no salvation for the Gentiles. He grew up in a way that says that there was no other way to salvation but the Jewish way. But he got connected with a gospel that contradicted what he believed. What happens? What happens when we come face to face with a gospel that just might contradict what you believe. In my first church plant, before I would preach every Sunday, I would get up, we would hold up our Bibles. I would ask people to repeat after me. As of today, I believe as I believe. But as we read your word, I submit myself to it, even if it goes against what I currently believe. And ladies and gentlemen, this is about growth. This is about spiritual growth. Is because if you haven't been challenged in what you currently believe, then we're not growing. We're not growing. I think it's, 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 it's important that we allow ourselves to be challenged by the gospel of God and not creating our own kingdoms. Subsequently, Paul's first sentence, it sets the stage for what Christ-centered leadership looks like. However, he quickly transitions to a conversation about God in verse 2 and 3, declaring what the prophets spoke about concerning God's son. And so it's interesting. So when we look at the book of Romans, we're going to find Paul is not the, uh, he, he's not the founder of Romans. This church was already founded. And so when we talk about uh, all of the books that Paul wrote, uh, Romans is a little bit different because this is not a church that he started. This, this is, it's not a church that he started. And, and, and what makes this book a little bit different is most of the books that you'll find that, that Paul has wrote, he's wrote it to the church speaking regarding the church. In Romans, what you're going to find, this is a book about God. You're going to find God mentioned more times in the book of Romans probably than any other New Testament um, um, book you'll, you'll find. And, and, and so what, what he does in this book is because he said, I'm not preaching some, some new and some clever message. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to connect what I'm preaching today with what was spoken long ago. And, 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 and so he says, what I'm talking about is what the prophets spoke about long ago, what he mentions in, in verse 2 and 3. In other words, again, he's not introducing a new and a clever uh, a, a way of describing who God is. The gospel, it was an age-old promise that had been fulfilled. And in verse 4, Paul proclaims Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And, and so what does this mean? It means Jesus defeated death, and now everything else orbits around the sun. Sometimes they say if you look at nature, you have a really good opportunity to figure out some of the characters of God. Because if you look at nature, everything orbits around the sun. You look at Christianity, 
everything orbits around the sun. And, 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 so, and so this is, and so what does that look like even in our own life? Does my finances orbit around the sun? Does my marriage orbit around the sun? Does my relationships orbit around the sun? Does my politics orbit around the sun? How many of us are willing to put all that we have and all that we are on the chopping block to be in alignment with the sun? And so from beginning to end, Jesus, he, he, he must be the center of our, our walk. And, and, and Paul, he ends verse 4 calling him Jesus Christ our Lord. And y'all hear me talk about this a lot of times because we love embracing, you know, I remember there was a time I, I just embraced Jesus as, as the person who would uh, deliver me from hell. Just, just a savior. Just, uh, I mean, it's nothing wrong with him being, because Lord knows we need a savior. But how many of us look at him as Lord? Paul declares him as Lord because there is a difference between a savior and a Lord. If the fireman come and he saves you from a burning house, he's your savior. You, you know, you, you're going to go buy him dinner. You're going to tell him thank you and all those other good things. But chances are you're not going to allow that fireman to be your Lord. Jesus is a little bit different. He's like, I, I'm, I'm saving you from eternal damnation. And because I saved you from eternal damnation, what I'm asking for you to do is to submit your life so I can use you so others could be saved from eternal damnation. So sometimes we get ours and we run. We're like, I got some ice cream. I got some ice cream. You don't got no ice cream. I got some. No, we got to share that ice cream. And, 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 and in verse 5, Paul maintains it is Jesus Christ our Lord in whom we receive grace and apostleship. And, and look at what he says in, 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 in verse, verse, verse 5. He, he says, for, for the, uh, it was about the obedience for the sake of his name among all the nations. And so he's talking about a, 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 a clearly an inclusive and in verse 6, he speaks directly to the Romans when he says, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus. And when we talk about that calling, I want you to think about this, is because the biggest trick of the enemy is to make you think that you're insignificant, that you don't belong anywhere, you don't fit in anywhere. And here it is, Paul is saying, you belong. And if you feel like you're out of place, it's probably because you don't realize that you belong to Jesus. Maybe you really don't belong with that man that, that ain't married you yet. Or maybe you ain't, don't belong with that woman or, or whatever it is that we put our faith in. When we realize that, 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 that our master identity is in the fact that I belong to Jesus. When I realize that's, that's my master identity, everything else flows from that. Who I am as a husband, it flows from the fact that I belong to Jesus. Who I am as a dad flows from the fact that I belong to Jesus. Who I am as a friend, it flows from the fact that I belong to Jesus. And so Paul is saying, this is your calling before all and other things. You might have some gifts and you might get caught up and think that your gift is your calling. But your gift helps you fulfill your calling. Don't, I wish I had some time today. Y'all going to make me preach like a black man up in here today. <laughs> I, 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 but, but, but I get excited about 
these things is because when you align yourself to what God has called you to, you can be the best of what God created you for. And we're going through life and we're struggling and we're trying to figure it out. And the reason why we're struggling is trying to figure it out is because we're not walking in the very thing that God created us for. And we're called, he says, called to belong to Jesus. And, and, and Paul, he speaks to this calling. He speaks to his calling. Then he transitioned and he's speaking to the calling of his listeners. And this call to belong to Jesus, it did not just end with the Romans. The call to belong extends to all nations, including you. And again, there's some people here who may feel like you don't fit in anywhere and you don't belong anywhere. But let me just tell you that Satan is a liar. Satan will try to sell you on the idea that you're alone and nobody cares, but there is a king that's calling you to be a part of his kingdom. I want you to understand that there's a king that's calling you to be a part of, of royalty. And in verse 7, Paul proclaims they were loved by God, and he goes on, he says, and called to be saints. Y'all, there's some good stuff here. I wish I had some time. He said, that, but, but called to be saints. And this is the third time he uses the word called. Within the first seven verses of Romans, he gives us a practical look of the calling of God. One, a servant of Christ. Two, set apart for the gospel of God. Three, to belong. And four, called to be saints. Ladies and gentlemen, when you realize that what we're connected to, that there's no way that the enemy should win. There's no way that the enemy can win. And his biggest trick is to sell you on the belief that you don't belong. So what's it saying? It said, the office was never more important than his identity as a servant of Christ. And I, and I remember, I remember when the Gulf War happened, and I remember... My best friend, he was the best man in my, in my wedding. He was serving at the time. And I hadn't heard from him. I didn't know whether he was doing well or not. And I, and I just felt like, man, I can't let my God be out there by himself. I'm going to go I'm gonna go sign up and be in the service so I could go serve with him. And he was in the Navy. And I remember going on Billard and they had the army, they had the, the, all the armed services in one building. And I walk into the wrong place. I walk into the Marines. And I'm like, uh, is this the Navy? I said, no, nah, but come on in. I said, no, nah, man, I'm looking to be, I wanna be on the ship. I'm like, we got ships. <laughs> and they, like, heal me up, man. I was trying to get out. I never did make it to the Navy office because I just felt this need that I wanted to go serve with my best friend. And, I, and I've asked him about the, is there a buddy program? Can you serve with your, oh, yeah, sure, you can serve with your buddy. But, but then what ends up turning out, when, when my friend got back in, I thought he was on the front line, battleships and all that stuff, and he worked in accounts payable. <laughs> he had never seen the war. But what do we do when we see someone who served in service? We say, thank you for your service. In our mind, we don't care. We, we don't even think about the office. We say, thanks. So when you're talking to him, you're saying, thank you for doing accounts payable for the United States of America. So it wasn't about the office. It was about the service. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, I'm a servant of Christ before the office. Don't get caught up in the office. The fact that I serve 
is the reason that we celebrate. And, and, and the second point uh, we're going to see in this passage is that Paul, he speaks to the commission of God. Look at what it says, and, and picking up in verse 8. He, sa- he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as as, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. If you're following along, I I want to bring to your attention in verse 14 and highlight I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Here, it's it's important to note that that Paul did not, again, he didn't start the church in Rome at the time, and, and at the time of his writing, he had never even been to Rome. Yet, in in, in verse 8, he mentions that the faith of the Roman church had been proclaimed throughout the entire world. So even though he hadn't been there, he had heard about them. And as a a result, in verses 9 and 10, he continues his letter saying, without ceasing, he mentions them in prayer along with his desires to visit. And it's interesting because we just got through with the book of Acts. And, and, and it's funny because uh, we, we see he has this desire to get to Rome and he's trying to get there. But for whatever reason, he can't seem to get there. And how does he end up getting there? He gets there in chains. And we go back to Acts and we look and he makes this appeal to Caesar. We never knew that, that, that his prayer was actually being answered but it was being answered in chains. And, and, and so we move on. So, so the beauty of this letter can be found in verses 11 and 12, as he says, I long to see you to impart, but also to receive something. And this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing because, I mean, like we could say like, you know how they say like Michael Jackson was the, the, the king of pop. Uh, Elvis was the king of rock. Uh, Aretha Franklin was the, the queen of soul and all that. Well, some people would see Paul as the king of Christianity, but he ain't. And he did not operate as if he was the king of Christianity. He says, I want to come and I want to give you some of the gifts that I have. But the other reason that I want to come is because I want you to impart something into me. So, so Paul, he understood the value of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. You know, there's no big parts of the body, one that's better than the other, one that's more important than the other. Break your big toe and see what you could do. (laughs) Point being, humility, it helped him see he could benefit from the spiritual gifts of others. So much so in verse 13, he makes it known that he had been trying to get to Rome to reap a harvest among, get this, the Gentiles. The ones that's despised, the hated. Now imagine 
someone from the conservative side says, I long to get to the liberals so I could reap from the liberals. No, we hate the liberals. And the liberals hate the conservatives, like in the church. But Paul is saying, the enemy, I long to see you so I could benefit. I could reap some kind of harvest uh, uh, from among you. And like, ladies and gentlemen, this is the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus, I tell people it's so easy. You know how I get rid of an enemy? So easy. You don't have to blow them up. You don't have to pray that God destroy them. Never let them, <laughs> never let them see the light of day again. The easiest way to get rid of an enemy is to love them. Oh, but we don't want to do that. Because <laughs> they ain't going to ever get right. But that's, but that's the easiest way. And we see this is playing out. This is Paul's ministry. He's loving on the enemy. In fact, his whole ministry is dedicated to the enemy. In fact, it's absolutely clear on who Paul is addressing in verse 13 when he says, you and the rest of the Gentiles. He says, you and the, and, and the rest of the Gentiles. And, and, and so back in eight, Acts 22, God told Paul, he says, Acts 22 and 21, he says, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul was the only apostle that was sent to the Gentiles. He knew exactly who he was commissioned to. And it's something to be said when you know exactly who it is that you've been commissioned to. You just don't take a bunch of spaghetti and you throw it on the wall and see what lands. Like, he knew exactly who it was that, that he was called to. And what does it look like when you've been commissioned to know exactly whose life it is that you are to impact? And, 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 and he goes on to say in verse 14, he says, I am obligated to the Greek, to the barbarian, to the wise, and the foolish. Essentially, all walks of life among the Gentiles. And, and, and the barbarians were, were, were those that were considered, they weren't part of Greek culture, they were not part of Roman culture, nor were they Jewish. They didn't have a culture, so they was considered as uncivilized and barbaric. And Paul says, that is who I'm obligated to. It's kind of like Jesus. He's not obligated to the good people. He's obligated to the people who can't seem to get themselves together. It's the reason why he died and he sacrificed his life for people who couldn't get it together. And the church is not a church full of people who got it together. The church is a place that's full of people who's broken. You don't have to put on a mask because this is the reason why Christ died. And so what we find, Paul's obligation to God, it could not be divorced from his obligation to the people God had commissioned him to. It's impossible to say I love God with all my heart, all my strength, all my soul, and all my might, and I don't love who he's commissioned me to with all my heart, all my strength, all my soul. And here's the thing, we don't get to pick who God commissions us to. That's why it's called commission. <laughs> didn't say pick. <laughs> like, God told me to pick my, no. No, you've been commissioned to a group of people that you might not like, the group of people that you might not agree with. It might be exactly on the other side of the, of, of, of the aisle. And, and so Paul, he understood so much so that in verse 15, he expresses his eagerness. And I like the King James Version because it says, I'm eager to preach the gospel in the ESV version. But in the King James Version, it says, I'm ready 
to preach the gospel. And, he, and Paul said, and this sounds gangster because Paul, Paul said, this ain't the first time that Paul said that he's ready. He says, I'm ready to suffer. I'm ready to die. Like everything that's connected to Jesus, like, man, I'm ready. There's some thugs out here that's ready to die for some foolishness. It's some kids out here that's ready to die. When we leave here, they're going to be driving and crazy. They, they ready to die for nothing. Paul, like, man, I'm, I'm ready to do the thing that I need to do for Jesus because I know when this life is over that there's a kingdom that's waiting for me. When this life is over, like, I, I, I know that I belong to something and I don't have to, y'all don't have to look in the casket and wonder where did his soul go? How many funerals have we been to when we looked in the casket and we just wondered where are they? Something about Jesus, something about sacrificing my life to Jesus that I know that when I die, you know, it used to be a time in my life I knew when I died I was going to hell. I just accepted that fact. Now, like, man, I'm ready, whatever, when, whenever, whatever, like, man, I'm going to see Jesus. The third point is Paul speaks to the comprehensive power of God. Let's pick up in verse 16, look at what it says. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for, for, for faith, as it is, is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Again, may the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and doers of his word. Uh, here we see one of the most often quoted sayings of Paul, and for good reason, because he mentions the gospel numerous of times in chapter 1. Up to this point in chapter 1, he has made mention of the gospel of God. He's made mention of the gospel of his son. He's made mention of an eagerness to preach the gospel. And now in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And let me tell you why it was easy. Rome was a sophisticated city a very sophisticated city and running around talking about uh, a crucified Jewish savior make you look like you're crazy. But in the midst of that, Paul is like, man, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I don't care what society is embracing. I'm not ashamed of who Jesus is. I, I don't care what society says. I, I, I'm not ashamed. And, and here's the thing. Because he emphasizes the gospel so much I think it begs for a definition because I think sometimes when we think about the gospel we just think about it as the death and resurrection of Jesus the gospel goes beyond just the death and resurrection of Jesus that's nothing more but than information it's information without so the dimensions of the gospel is his life his teachings his death and his resurrection I, 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 I think we, we, ha we should have a we should have a, a, a slide of the dimensions of the gospel. And so what we see when we see that his life, it's a model for us to imitate. There is no such thing as a gospel if my life is not being challenged to imitate who he is. Uh, I, I, the, the second thing is because he is king, we follow his teachings. This is why I say it's very important not just to put the gospel up here, but that we take the gospel up here and we let it flow in the way that we live. 
We must follow his teaching. So his death paid for the penalty that we deserve, and his resurrection declared his reign as king. Ladies and gentlemen, all four dimensions of the gospel. Can't just, we just can't talk about his death and his resurrection. That's information if we don't align it with the life that we live and the teachings that we follow. And again, what we find, it's the reason that Paul says that he is unashamed of this gospel is what we find in verse 16 when he says it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believe and and let me just say while the power of God saves us from what we deserve it also helps us to follow the life and teachings of Jesus so he's not just telling you to, to go do it go follow the life of Jesus and follow his teachings but he gives us the helper He said, it's better for you that I go away, is what he told his disciples. Because if I don't go away, I won't be able to send the helper to you. And the helper is the spirit that lives down on the inside when we have the mindset that we want to go to the left, but it's that small, still voice telling you to do the right thing. Sometimes we don't listen to it because the devil's like, oh, no, uh -uh. you got to read them, they rights. That's what the enemy telling us. But, but he says, I'm going to give you the helper that's going to help you to imitate my life. I'm going to give you my helper that's going to help you follow my teachings. You won't be alone. So, one, I paid the price for the, for, for, for the penalty that you deserve. I defeated death. I got up. And I now reign as king. And, and now you get in the club based on my credentials. You know, when I used to be out in the street, you know, like, uh, I, can, I can get in the club, I can walk to the front of the line. And the people that was with me could walk to the front of the line. Why? Because they was living off my credentials. This is what the gospel is, ladies and gentlemen. Because he paid the price and because he defeated death. He's saying, I'm going to get you in the club of the kingdom based off my credentials. They no longer is God looking at you He's looking at me. He's looking at my righteousness. And this is the thing that's really important because he said faith for faith. And I know I got to get out of the way here, but I want to be able to touch on this right now because Paul declares that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, what we find in verse 17. I'm like, what does that mean? Well, what we find is in Romans 4 and 3, says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so the righteousness imputed from fathers Abraham's faith was God's design to impute righteousness for our faith. Tied to the father. And so it's really important to note that it's no longer about my righteousness. It's no longer about what I've accomplished, what I've done for God. But it's now about a simple requirement of belief, faith. Because Abraham believed righteousness was imputed to him. He's the father of many nations of which we are included. And because of that righteousness that was imputed to him, when we believe the righteousness of Christ is now imputed to us. And so if you're here today, you may have not taken that chance, that ch- taken that step to receive him as your Lord and Savior. There's an opportunity for you to be able to do that today. 
Romans 10 and 9 said, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, God has raised Jesus from the dead, you can have salvation. It's yours today. And he'll place his spirit in you that will cause you to walk in his ways, that will cause you to walk according to his teachings. Let us pray. God, you are good. We love you. We thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace. There's none like you in all the earth. And God, we pray right now, God, that if those that are here who don't know you, God, that as according to your word, that you would allow uh, them to confess and to believe and to receive you. By the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. God, we give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.